But what I want to make clear is that you can suffer from urinary leakage and not have had a baby as well. So we see it occurring in young female athletes. We also see it occurring in women later in life as well, often because of all the hormonal changes that have occurred to our bodies. Um, and those women don't necessarily need to have had a, have had a baby for, for, this, um, for these symptoms to have occurred. So, so there's a variety of reasons that they can happen. Um, and a lot of women are often told that these symptoms occur after and during childbirth and that that's just part of having had a baby. Um, well, it is part of having had a baby, unfortunately, but it's not normal and it's not something that anyone listening um, should have to put up with. Hi guys, welcome back to the Adaptive Zone podcast. My name is Matthew Boyd. I'm a physiotherapist and running coach. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you're so inclined, share it with a friend. Today, we're going to be talking with Emma Brockwell, who's a pelvic health physiotherapist and we're going to be talking about an unfortunately common problem of leaking with running and it's not just with running it's other activities as well this is a very common problem that is unfortunately being normalized to a certain degree where it's uh, you know being looked at as something that just happens to people and you have to live with it and as Emma discusses in the show it's doesn't seem to be that way at all and there's certainly something you can do something about if you are having this issue or if you know someone who's having this issue then you can forward this episode along to them and they'll almost certainly get quite a lot out of it because Emma is quite a wealth of knowledge on this topic and I'll let her talk all about that. If you're enjoying the podcast don't forget to check out my running fundamentals course. It's a free online course and it teaches you all of the foundations of running performance and injury prevention so I'll stick a link to that in the description but Anyway, that's enough out of me. Let's get into it. So, Emma Brockwell, welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional work? Yeah, of course. So, I'm a pelvic health physiotherapist, um, which the long and short of it is means that I treat predominantly women um, who have any form of pelvic floor dysfunction um, at any stage of their lives. And I do that within a private setting, a private clinic setting. But I also dabble in a bit of writing as well. Um, I've written a book um, called Why Did No One Tell Me? Um, and I dabble in a little bit of the research world, but I'm pretty new to it. Um, so, so I've got my fingers in a few pies because because I'm just really passionate about pelvic health and, you know, spreading the word of its importance. Mm. And you've got an excellent podcast at your cervix. Oh, and I have a podcast. How can I forget my own podcast? Yes. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I run that with um, my great friend, Gronny Donnelly. Um, and again, it's, it's a podcast that just talks about all things pelvic health, talking to the clinicians, fitness professionals, coaches, but also to to the, the general public as well. Mm, yeah, it's excellent. I'll definitely link them in the show notes. Oh, so for anyone you. listening, if you find this episode interesting, At Your Cervix podcast is really helpful. And again, this is a big topic, but you guys discuss lots of things on that, which are, you know, very, very informative. So I would certainly oh, recommend you. people check that out. And, uh, thank you very much. But today we're going to focus specifically on Leaking with running, which is, yeah. well, why don't you tell us how common is this problem and, and basically what, what's going on? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so running and leaking urine is unfortunately more common than it should be. It probably affects around about one in three women. I would argue maybe maybe more than that. Um, and it happens for a variety of reasons. Um, essentially, it's occurring because pressure around the urethra, around the, the bladder, isn't being managed well enough by the tissues that support that area, partly because they're either damaged or weakened. So commonly within clinic, we'd see women with weakened or damaged pelvic floor muscles. And as a result of that, whenever they cough, sneeze, laugh, run, they leak a little urine or a lot of urine. And why does why does running, coughing, sneezing, why do these things cause the leaking? Yeah, um, we think it's because of all the pressure on um, on a system that sometimes is compromised and it can be compromised for a variety of reasons. Um, commonly, we would see women in clinic who have uh, recently had a baby or who are pregnant and, and obviously that makes sense because all the weight um, on our bodies during pregnancy and all the changes that occur to our system during pregnancy and then when we birth as well um, these can cause damage or weaken a system that perhaps hasn't always had that much attention I think the big problem with pelvic floor dysfunction often is that we only start treating the symptoms when they occur well, if we actually considered training and strengthening the muscles before they were weakened, often through pregnancy and childbirth, then it would be interesting to see if we would perhaps prevent some of those symptoms occurring. But what I want to make clear is that you can suffer from urinary leakage and not have had a baby as well. So we see it occurring in young female athletes. We also see it occurring in women later in life as well, often because of all the hormonal changes that have occurred to our bodies. Um, and those women don't necessarily need to have had a, have had a baby for, for, this, um, for these symptoms to have occurred. So, so there's a variety of reasons that they can happen. Um, and a lot of women are often told that these symptoms occur after and during childbirth and that that's just part of having had a baby. Um, well, it is part of having had a baby, unfortunately, but it's not normal and it's not something that anyone listening um, should have to put up with. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, when I first heard of the problem, that was almost the context I heard of it in, right? It was uh, CrossFit particularly, but but heavy lifting sports and this kind of very much a normalization of this uh, of this leaking, but I guess what you're saying is that it's a, it's a sort of medical symptom. It's not something that um, you know we would, as a as a society, be trying to just kind of accept this and normalize it. It's it's something that should be treated. Is that is that what's going on? Yeah, exactly right. I, th- I think it's helpful sometimes to think of pelvic floor dysfunction almost like in any other musculoskeletal injury. So if you sprained your ankle, hopefully, if it's not recovering, you would go and see someone like yourself or, or, or me to help recover that injury. And often because pelvic floor issues don't hurt, um, and that's not exclusive, some, some pelvic floor dysfunction is uncomfortable, um, but if it's not uncomfortable, women will just put up and, and 
what we say pad up so they'll wear um, a pad to help manage the symptom and I think that's the complexity of it that you can you can manage the symptoms quite often but there often comes a point if we leave them where the symptoms will get worse and worse and worse and often what we'll see unfortunately is that women pull back from their exercise that they love because they're too embarrassed to continue exercising because it's starting to show through their running leggings um, or it's, it's just proving too uncomfortable and there's chafing that's occurring so so yeah we have to think of it more in the context of any other musculoskeletal injury and if we think of it like that then we're not normalizing it but we're also making it less taboo if you like because I think a lot of the symptoms I treat women are embarrassed about talking or discussing them and they shouldn't be um, and the reality is that they are just part of of being a human you know men do suffer from pelvic floor dysfunction as well and um, as a, you know we, we shouldn't be putting up with it particularly when we know that we can say successfully treat it as well so how how common is this problem like and who does it happen to is it is it just people who are more athletic is it just people who run like who does it happen to <laughs> Um, so the risk factors are vast. Um, so as I've already touched on, women who have had a baby um, and who are pregnant, um, it's not not just women um, who have had a vaginal delivery, so you can have a C-section and still suffer from pelvic floor dysfunction as well. And as I said earlier, that's simply because of all the changes and the, the weight changes that are occurring on our body often weaken that tissue. Um, it can occur in children as well, um, and certainly in adults who have had a history of childhood incontinence or bedwetting are a little bit more susceptible to it. Uh, women who have had severe constipation or coughing, so coughing. So if you imagine all of that pressure when you're coughing or straining to open your bowels, that can weaken the fascia and the tissue around the urethra and the bladder as well. Um, we, we do certainly see women who are carrying out higher impact exercises maybe a little more at risk. We don't definitely know that, but there's a definite trend there. And as you touched on, heavy lifting as well. But is that because of how we're teaching women to lift? Is that because we're not discussing breath holding enough? Um, and that's why we're seeing a rise in pelvic floor dysfunction in lifters. Um, but we definitely see a trend in, in, in those women who are carrying out those sports. And there's a lot of good papers out there that show that women um, or young girls who are gymnasts, trampolinists, netballers, prevalence of urinary incontinence among that group of athletes is, is really high. And probably it's because the demands of the sport their tissues can't meet the demands of their sport because we're not coaching them or educating about the need to maintain strength and rehabilitate that area. I see. And so how would how does someone go about rehabilitating or I guess preventing problems uh, with leaking? Yeah, so I think if the, the, the big word there is prevention. That would be where we would ideally start. So I think if we started in the schools, educating young girls as to the importance of pelvic health, um, what their pelvic floor does, how you might exercise the pelvic floor, that would be, that would be the dream. Um, so that as our bodies change, as we get older, our pelvic floor can cope and manage with those changes. Um, if, of course, you're uh, experiencing symptoms, then we want to treat you. 
So the ideal in the UK, for example, would be to go to your doctor and ask for a referral to see a pelvic health physiotherapist via the NHS or within the private system as well. So there's there's a lot of us who can treat this uh, or these dysfunctions. It's just a case of asking for a referral to, to the right person. Um, but I do appreciate that you can sometimes go to the doctors and the doctors often normalise um, because, again, they're not always educated in what's normal and what's not normal. And often the doctors will normalise it and say, well, you know, you've had a baby, that's kind of, it's kind of okay, it's normal to leak urine when you jump on a trampoline. Um, and so I do think women have a little bit of a, a, an uphill battle sometimes to get that referral. But all I would say is if you persist, you should get that referral and by allowing us to help you treat and manage the symptoms, for the vast majority of women, pelvic health physiotherapy alone can, can get you better. Yeah, and I guess for a lot of doctors, it's going to be, you know, if they're not in that world, then it's they're just like anybody else in the sense that they've yeah. probably had either problems themselves or people who they're friends with or family members with have had this problem and they've just kind of dealt with it, as in put up with it and restricted their activities is their way of dealing with it. And that's how they perceive it. This is a thing that ha- it's a bit like getting old, right? These are just one of those things that happen and you mm-hmm. can't do anything about it. Um, but I guess when you, if you do, so say you have this problem and you get, I guess the other thing I would say is that at least in Canada where I live, they mm. you don't have to have a doctor's referral to go and see a pelvic health physiotherapist. Oh, you can just amazing. Google it and then go and see one. I mean, it would be a private page usually. If you wanted to go through the uh, public health system, then you would need a referral, most likely. But yeah. it's not something that you necessarily need to jump through those hopes, which is getting more difficult, especially at the minute. Even times just to see your family doctor are extremely long. So when say you do do that and you go and see someone like yourself and you're doing pelvic floor physiotherapy to address the issue, like what does that look like? What what are you doing? Mm. So essentially what we'll do is we'll screen you from head to toe. So what's important to understand is that pelvic health physiotherapy isn't just about doing pelvic floor exercises. If it were that simple, I'd be delighted because you could just do your pelvic floor exercises without the need um, of, of of our help. The problem with the pelvic floor is it's a muscle you can't see and it's often a muscle that we aren't sure we're actually recruiting correctly. So what pelvic health physiotherapists help you do is find a way of recruiting your pelvic floor muscles and how I might recruit my pelvic floor muscle is different to how someone else might recruit theirs. So we essentially look at you from head to toe, we look at the muscles that will work with the pelvic floor and it's not a muscle that works in isolation so we might look at how well your glutes, your bottom muscles are working how well the lower limbs uh, muscles are working as well. What's your upper body doing? What's your diaphragm doing? What's your core? What are your core muscles doing? And the, the pelvic floor essentially works with a little other team of muscles. So your deep back muscles, your deep tummy muscles and your diaphragm. So we'll often look at how that team is responding and working together. And then once we've had a look at you on the outside, of course, we'll look at you on the inside as well. So we do offer an internal uh, vaginal assessment as well, which can seem quite daunting and overwhelming. Less so if you've had a baby, because let's face it, having a baby is, you know, you expose everything when you have a baby. But if you haven't had a baby, that can seem overwhelming. But I would say 
the, uh, the assessment doesn't hurt. Um, we'll always make sure you're comfortable and always gain your consent for every element of the assessment, but we'll look at your pelvic floor and see how strong it is or how weak it is, if there's any tension within the pelvic floor, what the tissues look like they're doing. And then from there, we'll be able to really create an individualized program so as to best improve your symptoms in the most effective way and get you starting doing the rehab that's gonna work for you. And that's the key thing, it's that individualized approach that can make such a difference to women. And that's really what the research is showing, that that individualized approach makes the difference. Whereas a lot of women will say, well, I'm doing my pelvic floor exercises and they're not really working, so that can't be the answer. But often it's because you need that individualized approach to improve your system, uh, yeah, symptoms, sorry. So essentially, we look at you outside, inside, and, and make sure that that program works most effectively for you as an individual. And I guess something I picked up on there would be that, is this something that if you're having issues with leaking, you essentially just can't treat yourself, that you need professional help, or is there, is there cases where people can do something without assistance? Yeah, exactly right. So what I often say, especially to those women who don't necessarily feel that confident coming to see us initially, is try and do your pelvic floor exercises for a good couple of weeks at first. So six weeks is a good marker to know if your symptoms are going to improve on their own. So if by doing your pelvic floor exercises, after six weeks, you start thinking, oh my goodness, my symptoms are improving. Then there's a good strong indication that you're doing your pelvic floor exercises correctly um, and that it is the pelvic floor muscle itself that needs work. And by continuing to do those exercises for at least three to six months, you should hopefully notice that your symptoms all but disappear. I would say if, however, you have been doing them hand on heart every day, and by six weeks they're not improving, then you probably do need more of that individualized approach. Because as I say, it's not just about the pelvic floor, it might be about other things that are happening that are causing that leakage. And so you might just need a little bit more guidance. But like any other muscle or system in your body, it's not gonna get better after doing a few squeezes two or three times in a week. So it does take time, but if it's gonna work for you, Six weeks is a good time to know that that's 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 um, that's whether you need a little extra help or not. And when you say your pelvic floor exercises, are we talking about Kegels here? Yes, yeah, so basically squeezing the front and the back passage of your vagina um, and ensuring that you are holding for around about ten seconds and also carrying out some fast twitch activations because the pelvic floor is made of slow twitch and fast twitch fibers. So generally the recipe is uh, 10 second holds 10 times and then 10 fast squeezes. But for some women whose pelvic floor muscles are very weak, that might be too much. So you might need to pull back a little bit on that. And for some women, they may need a little bit more than that. And it's also dependent on the position you're doing the exercises. So if I'm treating runners, I'll always get them to do their pelvic floor exercises standing because mm. that's the position that you run. And like any other muscle in your body, we need to load the muscle to adapt it. And often women will only do them lying down 
but that's not allowing adaptation of the pelvic floor. So you, so you have to think quite functionally with them as well. And of course, it's really important that you're not just squeezing the muscle, you're also relaxing it as well. So if you envisage, I don't, I don't know if this is, um, you use the video as well, uh, Matthew, but basically, if you think about my bicep, it has to contract fully and relax fully. And you'll find a lot of women don't always fully contract the muscle and they certainly don't always fully relax the muscle. So you have to think about a nice slow squeeze and a nice slow release before you do the next contraction. So there's lots and lots of different factors that will contribute to your pelvic floor strength improving or, or not improving as it were. And so that is what you mean by the individualized approaches that you're assessing how do they contract? Do they do the fast well? Do they do the slow well? Do they relax fully? Do they contract fully? That kind of thing is what you're looking at. If if it's not resolving with, you know, simple self-directed treatment after a few weeks, then that's where the, the expert would come in. That's the kind of thing you guys are looking at as well as the, uh, you know, functioning of other muscles external to the pelvic yeah. floor. Yeah, exactly right. And whether or not your pelvic floor just happens to need a little bit more in terms of do we need to think about using some vaginal weights? Um, do we need to think about concentrating on the relaxation component a little bit more than the contracting component? Component. You'll often see a lot of runners tend to hold their pelvic floor a lot of the time and that's that's probably one of the useful things that I should say is when you're running you shouldn't be squeezing your pelvic floor your pelvic floor should naturally engage as you run it would be um, the equivalent of always trying to squeeze your bottom muscles the whole time when you're running and that's not going to help any system at all and it's probably going to cause a lot of pain within the bum muscle so if you do that with the pelvic floor often you'll see if you're constantly holding the pelvic floor it can cre create some discomfort and some pain or some increase in urinary leakage so don't squeeze your pelvic floor when you're running um, but but it is a muscle that needs strengthening so that it can cope with the demands of running and as i say that's where the rehab really comes into its own yeah, I mean, that's a really good point because actually you, you do meet the occasional runner who does squeeze their butt muscle the whole time when they're running because they've been told by some well-meaning professional that they should. But, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't consciously contract your calf muscle to protect, project it forward. So why would you do that with uh, your pelvic floor muscles or anything else? So I guess what you're saying is with the training side of things, you're going to assist people to sort of understand what's what's contracting, what's relaxing and 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 how to do that but then train it to the point that it becomes unconscious so that they can yeah, exactly. their pelvic floor will function on its own when they're running because they're only on the floor for like you know one sixth of a second or whatever so you know a conscious control of that every step for three thousand steps an hour is not really that realistic no that would be a huge ask of anyone uh, I know I couldn't do that oh my god um no it's just it's a muscle that needs to subconsciously activate and for one reason or other often through um pregnancy and childbirth that that subconscious activation of the pelvic floor gets lost and that is why it's so important then that we rehab it and and get it to reflexively recruit um, as, as it once was um, often before babies. But as I say, not exclusive to the pregnant or postnatal population at all. And you were saying, you know, you do it like these exercises. So there, someone was trying it on their own before they went to see a pelvic uh, therapist, which I guess personally, I wouldn't recommend. I think it's worth the investment to just go and mm. see someone 
and know you're doing it correctly if you're going to spend all that time on it. But if they were, like how often should they do uh, the pelvic floor exercises? They're not like how much do people need to do this stuff in order to see some change and for how long and that kind of thing? Yeah. So if you have a symptom of pelvic floor dysfunction, um, I would recommend that you aim to do your pelvic floor exercises every day. The gold standard is six times a day. Right. Find me someone that can do <laughs> pelvic floor exercises six times a day. That's a huge ask. And often we see that the muscle becomes very fatigued if you're doing that individually without any, without any real guidance. So I would recommend you try and do them every day. By doing them every day, you're going to create a habit. And hopefully by six to, six to 12 weeks, you should really have started noticing a significant improvement, if not complete improvement of your symptoms. Um, but like any other muscle, it does take a while to build, to load, to change. So you have to persevere with pelvic floor exercises. Once you've then hopefully resolved your symptoms, I would recommend that then you continue doing pelvic floor exercises forever, but as part of your strength and conditioning program. So I don't have any pelvic floor issues. I, I, I did after I had my, my children. Um, but I now do them as part of my strength and conditioning component. Um, I run as well. And so when I strength and condition, I do my pelvic floor exercises as well. Because if I don't, unfortunately, because I've had those symptoms in the past, they can rear their ugly head again, especially, especially as I'm going into the, the perimenopause now. So I'm 43. Um, and as my estrogen is is De declining unfortunately um, pelvic floor muscles love estrogen and as we lose that estrogen unfortunately we often see pelvic floor symptoms occur so for life I would then recommend you do your pelvic floor exercises a couple of times a week to maintain the strength especially if you're running and putting such huge ground force reactions through your system so I guess that's part of what you're referencing about the fact that this doesn't have to be just women who've had a vaginal delivery. It can also happen to people, um, I guess, perimenopause or menopause would be another cause of changes in the pelvic floor um, function, and that could lead to um, incontinence. Yeah, exactly right. You, that's where we often see... I guess I have two main populations that come into my clinic, the pregnant and postnatal population and the perimenopausal and postmenopausal population. Um, and a lot of those women haven't had children, but because of the hormonal changes that they're going through, that has a, uh, a negative impact on their pelvic floor. So just like anything, we're trying now to really encourage women to strength train strength train every muscle and that includes the pelvic floor muscles so even if you're listening and you're not having any pelvic floor symptoms it comes back to the preventative approach of train your pelvic floor a couple of times a week so as to hopefully prevent any of these symptoms like pelvic floor uh, urinary incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse occurring and when you say that you're doing sort of maintenance training now as part of your strength and conditioning is that like as part of your warm-up that you you do your pelvic floor exercises while you're warming up or do you do it like while you're lifting or like what's the the best strategy if you were doing a maintenance program 
I, I personally mix it up a little bit, so I'll quite often do some standing work with just the pelvic floor exercises as I've um, described. I normally do 10 second holds 10 times and 15 fast squeezes because that's personally what works for me. Um, my fast twitch fibres aren't quite as good as my, as my slow twitch fibres, I, I would say. Um, but I will also mix it up by doing some pelvic floor work when I'm weight lifting as well so when I squat as I come up from the squat I'll often engage my pelvic floor as or as I come up from a lunge I'll engage my pelvic floor as well simply because for me personally that's a really good way of maintaining my pelvic floor strength but that again is where that individualized approach I've seen a pelvic health physio I haven't trained myself um, and my pelvic health physiotherapist felt that I maintain my strength in the most effective way by doing my pelvic floor rehab in, in that way. Um, but I definitely will say that if I don't do my pelvic floor exercises for a few weeks, I definitely notice a difference. So, so you have, well, you do have to practice what you preach because for me, those symptoms they're so awful. I just, I just don't want to experience any of the symptoms that I was experiencing after I had particularly my son, um, who was my first baby. So for the sake of a couple of minutes added on to my strength and conditioning programme, it's, it, it's, it's a game changer. It's, it's 100% worth it. And when you say with this problem, is it, is the only symptom that you, do you have early warning signs that you might be able to uh, okay, it's time to take action here, time to go and see someone. Or is it only when you start to have, you know, leaking with running or jumping and, and uh, laughing or sneezing, is that the first sign that there's a problem with your pelvic floor? Or is there, can you feel something or do you have other signs and symptoms that might give you a bit of an earlier warning? Yeah, so for some women, they may only experience signs of urinary leakage just even a few drops of urinary leakage when they have a really big cough or a really significant sneeze or they've done a really really long run and I would say if you've just had a really awful cough uh, or cold then that is going to stress the pelvic floor and if it's a one-off hopefully it remains just that as a one-off but if it happens a couple of times and I'm talking two or three times when you do those things that for me is enough of a sign that your pelvic floor needs a little bit of attention some women unfortunately will experience symptoms simply when they get up from the chair or when they go for a walk and that's definitely a sign that you need some help um, but it isn't just I know we're predominantly talking about stress urinary incontinence today but if you're experiencing urgency so for example you pop the key in the front of your door um, and you suddenly have an urge to go to the toilet and it's you almost have to cross your legs and hold your breath to get to the toilet without leaking urine. That's a sign that your pelvic floor or your pelvic health needs addressing. Or if you're feeling any heaviness or dragging in the vaginal area, when you're running or walking or, or, or doing anything, then again, I would get that looked at. And if you experience any pain or discomfort within the pelvic floor or within the vaginal area, that again is a sign that you do need to get a little bit of support um, to help improve your pelvic health. And of course, I should also add that unfortunately, one in 10 women, particularly after having a baby, do experience signs and symptoms of faecal incontinence and faecal urgency. So that's when you can't control your bowels. Um, and that's 100% needs treating because that is not something anyone should have to put up with. Um, and, and it's again, very successfully treated with pelvic health physiotherapy. 
Well, I guess that, that sort of leads me to my next question is how successful is treatment generally for stress urinary incontinence, for fecal incontinence, for these kinds of problems? Very, very successful for urinary, <laughs> yes, fortunately. Um, so for urinary incontinence, if we are compliant with our exercises and we're giving you the right rehab program, around about, the research is showing around about 80 to 90% of women can resolve their symptoms wow. without any further intervention. Um, pelvic organ prolapse is a little bit more complicated, um, but we should really be able to help you reduce your symptoms of pelvic floor um, uh, sorry, with pelvic organ prolapse within about six months. Um, and faecal incontinence and faecal urgency, again, a little more complicated, but we have a really high success rate for improving significantly your symptoms. And those symptoms can be quite life-changing. If you can't control your bowels, you know, that can really affect your want to go out, your want to go mm. to work, for fear of not having a toilet nearby if you have a, if you have a severe accident, because those accidents are quite different from leaking urine. But Pelvic health physiotherapy should be the first rung of the ladder when treating any form of pelvic floor dysfunction. We should always see you first before we start thinking about any other form of management and we should certainly have seen you before you even consider any form of surgery. Um, and, and, and often we can help you avoid the need for surgery um, if we can just get you into clinic and, and give you that support. You touched on that there might be other problems that sort of sound similar. So you you said the the sort of urgency when you put the key in the door. Um, that's something I've heard people say uh, quite a number of times. Or um, what was the other one? The just in case peeing when you when you don't actually need yeah. the bathroom, but you go anyway. So is it what's going on there? Is that pelvic floor weakness, or is that a different problem? Yeah. So that's a little bit more can be a little bit more complicated in the sense that. There can be a little bit more of um, dysfunction around the sphincters of the urethra. There can be a little bit of disconnection between the brain and the bladder. So we need to think about retraining your bladder and your brain so that we don't then incur any of these symptoms. So it's not just about strengthening. It might be about changing your habits, ensuring that you're drinking and eating the right things. Lots of women often are drinking the wrong things, which can overstimulate the bladder and irritate it. So for example, I had a patient, oh gosh, a few years ago now, and she was going to the toilet every 20 minutes and suffering from severe urgency, wow. despite the fact she was drinking very well. She was drinking four litres of water, which was probably a little too much. Um, but on pressing her further, the water she was drinking was actually fizzy water. So the fizzy water was just stimulating her bladder, it was aggravating her bladder. And as soon as we took the fizz out and just said, right, just maybe let us stick with three litres of water because she'd like to drink a lot. All of a sudden, <laughs> she, wasn't, she wasn't struggling with any frequency issues at all or any bladder irritation. And in all truth, we didn't need to do any pelvic floor work with her. So mm. it was more what she was putting into her system that was, that was really aggravating her whole... Um, uh, bladder bladder symptom um, that meant that we got her better just by just by educating on, on what she was drinking more so than anything so as I say it's not always just about your pelvic floor it can be about the fascia and the tissue and the brain to bladder connection but also what you're eating and you're drinking can be a big st stimulant as well and if someone is 
going that so say they're not leaking for example but they are feeling like they're going to the bathroom all the time and maybe they don't have urgency or anything but they i don't know like what's a normal amount of times to go mm. to the bathroom to you in it is that is there a, a very good question is there a standard amount <laughs> actually there is so um you should ideally be going for a wee every three to five hours so if you're going it more frequently then perhaps you've just adopted a habit where you're going as you say just in case so you know like we get kids to always go to the toilet just before they go in the car and I, and I understand why because there's nothing more irritating than having to stop <laughs> off for a toilet trip but unfortunately by doing that we are creating a habit where kids mm. tend to go just in case rather than going when they're their, their bladder actually needs for them to go. So if you're, if you're one of those people that goes to the toilet just before you leave the house every time, stress your system a little bit. See if you can actually manage getting to the coffee shop without going to the toilet first and then go to the toilet once you've gone to the coffee shop, for mm. example. Um, but it's, it's having that confidence in your system that you're not going to need the loo or you're not going to leak urine. But if you don't stress your system to a point, you're not going to know if you can push it that that little bit further. So so I do think sometimes we we have implemented these habits within kids to do these things when they perhaps don't necessarily need to do them. And then that goes on into adulthood as well. Yeah, I'm just sort of reflecting on episodes of my childhood when you know the teacher says well you should have gone at break time <laughs> you know oh, you I can't know. go to the bathroom now and you're like well i didn't need the bathroom at break time <laughs> and then you're it's sitting so there difficult. like desperately looking at the clock waiting for oh i know it's heartbreaking and i'm not suggesting for a second that we start doing that where we stress kids out as well um <laughs> or, or stress ourselves out at work but i do think when you've got that initial urge to go if you can try and suppress it for another 15 minutes, that's a really helpful way of just telling your bladder, that's okay, you don't, thanks for letting me know, but I don't need to go just yet, I'll go when I need to go. Of course, you shouldn't keep suppressing the urge to go. So if after 15, 20 minutes you need to go, you should go. But ideally, you should be going roughly every three to five hours. That's a sign of good bladder health, basically, and that you're drinking enough water. So do sometimes these problems feed into each other? Because I can imagine a situation where someone's having a small amount of, say, leaking with running, and then they start peeing in advance because they don't want that to happen on their run. Yeah, I see that so much. I also see women avoiding uh, fluid before mm. they go for a run. Um, and I understand the psychology behind that, but actually the less hydrated we are, the often the more we need to pee because the urine that remains within the bladder irritates the bladder so that you oh, keep you need to go to the toilet yeah so that's why it's important to drink little and often throughout the day so that the urine that is within the bladder isn't too concentrated and too irritating so frequent sipping is really really important and i would say if you have you know if you're having a huge pint of water just before you run of course that's going to irritate you but if you can build up to those uh, to that pint of water for the first hour or two before you go for a run that would be the ideal or making sure that you're drinking plenty of water the night before you go on a run is also really important but try not to avoid water in a bid to reduce leakage because it's not going to be sufficient to do that 
So from a pelvic health perspective, is there an amount of water to drink each day that's sort of, again, standard? Or is it is it different for different people? Different for different people. It's the bog standard, one and a half to two litres. Half of the reason we want you to remain hydrated is also partly to avoid constipation as well. And I think you had, did you have Michelle Lyons on your podcast mm-hmm. recently? Yeah. Um, and was she talking to you about constipation? A little. It wasn't the main focus of the episode, which was more just generally perimenopausal symptoms. Ah, it's perimenopausal symptoms. Well, one of the things that can cause pelvic health or pelvic floor dysfunction is constipation. So if we're constipated, often we want to strain to open our bowels. And um, as a result of that, that can cause symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse, but also urinary incontinence as well. So by keeping more hydrated, we reduce the chances of getting constipated, which is really, really good uh, for your pelvic health. Don't strain, keep your bowels regular, keep hydrated, and hopefully that will help your pelvic health. Yeah, it's interesting because... I got interested in diet a few years ago and Mm -hmm. some of the things that I read were talking about this sort of uh, fiber crisis kind of thing where people, uh, the general, the the sort of average person is getting, I think it was like a third or half of the amount of fiber that they're, you know, supposed to get. And so I guess that could, if you, it could be the hydration aspect leading to um, constipation, but it could also be a low fiber intake probably less of a problem with my audience i would have thought because uh, mostly runners are going to be more generally diet and health conscious but uh, it could be an issue if you're not eating enough sort of fruits and vegetables and then the, the constipation is leading to pelvic floor dysfunction is that is yeah, that exactly yeah. right Exactly right. Um, Particularly pelvic organ prolapse. It's a huge driver of pelvic organ prolapse. So pelvic organ prolapse being where your bladder, your bowel or your uterus descend into the vaginal canal. And that just uh, as a a caveat can give you can give you symptoms of heaviness in the vagina or a bulging in the vagina can be incredibly uncomfortable um, and and can be a huge um, problem for women. So if we can reduce reduce the constipation, we can often really help reduce your symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse and certainly prevent pelvic organ prolapse happening, which is which is really, really important. Yeah, yeah. Something you said right at the start that I wanted to come back to was you were talking about looking at someone's breathing and when they're doing things like how they're breathing. Could you could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so often you'll find that women and men, but I don't treat men, but women women, um, hold their breath. And we know that the pelvic floor is attached via the deep back and deep tummy muscles to your diaphragm. So we know uh, through ultrasound um, and MRI that when you breathe in, your pelvic floor and diaphragm relax. When you breathe out, the pelvic floor contracts. So quite often uh, we can see within runners some pelvic floor tension which can often lead to pelvic pain, uh, uh, painful sex as well. And that's often because the muscle has become a little bit uncoordinated, if you like. So women and men that hold their breath often lose that ebb and flow of the pelvic floor. So it can create a bit of tension within the pelvic floor. So often if we look at breathing and almost 
put some breathing techniques into pelvic floor rehab, we can help maintain that lovely ebb and flow of the pelvic floor, which can help reduce pain, but also reduce, sorry, improve the function of the pelvic floor. And we can therefore then see some improvement in pelvic floor or urinary leakage. So it's about thinking of the whole caniston, the whole core unit, rather than just the pelvic floor in isolation, because if we can address some breathing difficulties, we can often improve some pelvic floor issues. And as a preventative thing, is there a, is there a way someone should breathe, let's say when they're weight training or running, or should, you know, in the absence of problems, should you just let your body take care of it? Yeah, I think the big thing is just to make sure you're not breath holding. So you'll see a, a lot of lifters hold their breath as they lift, even if they're not lifting particularly heavy, as they lift the weight, they'll hold their breath. And that can create a lot of pressure and eventually a lot of tension within the pelvic floor, which can then lead to some pelvic floor issues. Often I, I see within runners, particularly postnatal runners, that they tend to hold their breath a little bit and hold their tummies in. When you just had a baby, your tummy isn't as strong and women aren't as comfortable with the look of their tummies. So often they'll hold their tummy in, which can also create a little bit more breath holding, a little bit more apical breathing. And as a result of that, just tension builds within that canister and can create some dysfunction. So it's about letting your tummy go, trying to breathe, more diaphragmatically when you're lifting and particularly not just chest breathing when you're running. So being more free with your breathing when you're running, I think is, is really, really important. Easier said than done, but I think it is really helpful if you're someone that suffers from pelvic floor issues. I was doing deadlifting yesterday and I was sort of going as heavy as I could. And when I was on my heaviest lift, I do feel like I was holding my breath. Is, is that normal or, or should I be breathing in or out as I'm lifting like how does that work when it's really heavy yeah so when it's really heavy you do valsalva or um, hold your breath to support the system as it lifts some weight what's really helpful and we can do this within pelvic health physiotherapy is watch you lift heavy and teach you techniques to perhaps hold your breath and support the system, but not bear down. One of the things you want to avoid is bearing down. So a little bit like constipation when it comes to straining, if you bear down and push through the perineum or through the vaginal area, that can sometimes cause some bulging in that area and, and lead to some pelvic floor weakness. So we can teach you within the treatment session to support the system but also recruit the pelvic floor at the same time and often what you'll see is women or men and men bear down but they don't support the system as they then lift they forget the pelvic floor they just let it all go hold their breath and pull up and that over time can lead to some issues does that make sense yeah so if you are lifting very heavy which i certainly advocate my runners do um, yeah, yeah. And you're having issues with leaking at that heavier load. It may be that you specifically need to train the way you're. Um, is it the way you're recruiting your pelvic floor to assist with the stiffening the of above. that? Yeah, canister? yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly right. And that's where 
those particular lifters might need a really strong pelvic floor to be able mm. to cope with the pressure coming from above which if you've never trained your pelvic floor it would make sense that perhaps you then suffer from pelvic floor symptoms simply because of all that pressure from below you've got to be able to meet that sorry all that pressure from above you've got to meet that from below as well um, and and it then makes sense and also makes me question why we neglect that muscle because it's so important mm. when you're putting so much weight against it especially when you're lifting so i guess what happened with me yesterday as i was lifting that heaviest weight i was holding my breath so i was creating a lot of pressure down on my pelvic floor but because my pelvic floor muscles are functioning normally they met the pressure and i didn't have any leaking but yeah. that might be a situation where if your pelvic floor muscles aren't quite uh, functioning at the, the optimal level then that's where the leaking comes but the, yeah, the exactly answer right. is not to avoid lifting that heavy it's to train the pelvic floor muscles to be able to meet the demands of the task yeah exactly right because i think lifting heavy is so important for runners especially for women as we're getting older um our changes in hormones obviously affects our bone density as well so it's really important that we're not avoiding these things but we're also not symptomatic whilst doing these things as well and that's obviously where we come in to help you be able to continue to do the exercise you need to do and that you love while supporting your pelvic health as well. Mm. And now the other thing I wondered that you were talking about earlier with the apical breathing, which we like more necky chest breathing for those who don't know, and, and sort of pulling the tummy in and that affecting the uh, ability for you to breathe diaphragmatically, which would be, you know, when your belly moves in and out as you breathe. Is this something that relates to stress? So does stress, anxiety, depression, do these things, can they sort of, as a secondary problem, develop uh, stress urinary incontinence because of the way they're breathing kind of thing? Do you know, I definitely do see a lot of women in clinic who are stressed uh, present with pelvic floor dysfunction. So often women who are experiencing pelvic pain and urinary leakage definitely often have more tension within their pelvis. I don't know which came first. It's a bit mm. of a chicken and an egg um, because obviously when you are suffering from pelvic floor dysfunction, that's really stressful as well. Um, and so I couldn't honestly say which comes first, but I do believe that we have to think about treating you holistically. So as I say, it's not just about treating the musculoskeletal system. It's about addressing so many multifactorial components of this. So by de-stressing, some mindfulness, some yoga, then we definitely can see that the breathing patterns improve, the pelvic floor recruitment improves, and as a result of that, pelvic floor symptoms improve as well. And we certainly see a lot of research by the likes of um, Sinead Defour, who's um, Canadian, an amazing pelvic health physiotherapist. Um, if you haven't had her on your podcast, I'd highly recommend her. Okay. Um, come on, she's just, she's just brilliant. And, I think I um, heard an episode of a podcast. I wonder if it oh, was yours. She, she was on ours. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. she was our first, first episode from season two, I think. Um, right. And she specialises in pelvic girdle pain, which is a really common... Um, symptom that occurs in pregnant women um, and it's incredibly debilitating and we're seeing that stress 
the rise in cortisol is a real driver for a lot of the pain that pregnant women are experiencing. And pregnant women, it's stressful being pregnant. Your body changes a lot. You can't often do a lot of the things that you love to do anymore because it doesn't feel right. And as a result of that, that can drive that pain system, almost that fight and flight to overwork your sympathetic nervous systems on overdrive and as a result of that that can drive some of the pain that you're experiencing so she's done a lot of work around that and really really puts a big emphasis on how we should think about you as a whole to help reduce your stress reduce your pain and in the case of pelvic floor issues reduce your pelvic floor symptoms so i definitely okay. listen to her she's brilliant yeah yeah well and i guess running uh around pregnancy we didn't touch on today but i know that's something that you uh wrote some guidelines for uh was it a couple of years ago now or was it just last year yeah 2018 i think we released those um so that was about returning to running postnatally or postpartum Mm -hmm. um really just to ensure that women are making sure that they are rehabbing their pelvic health rehabilitating musculoskeletally as well and not just going back to running after their six week check check, and then incurring injury as a result of that or pelvic floor issues as a result of that. So again, it was just to really encourage women and those that work with them to consider their return to run from a point of view, almost as if we were to return from injury, really good rehab to really support women so that they can run for life, not just for a few weeks beyond having a baby until they start leaking urine and everything feels uncomfortable. So, mm. um, so yeah, they're, they're accessible online for free if, if they'd be of any use to anyone. Yeah, I can put a link in the description. I'm also trying to get Margie Davenport to come on and talk to us about that, but I think she might be ghosting me at the minute. We arranged and then we postponed and no, I'll have to try amazing. again. No, she's amazing. Keep trying. She'll, she'll definitely come on. I know it. I know it. <laughs> so she, yeah, hopefully we'll be talking about running and, and pregnancy because I think that's, it's difficult to cover that in just, in just this single oh, it's episode. A big topic. Yeah, it's yeah. a big topic. Um, but something I would definitely encourage every pregnant woman to do, so long as there's no contraindications for them doing it, and so long as they're not experiencing pelvic floor issues, it's a great exercise um, to continue doing whilst you're pregnant, for sure. So just to, to leave off with, is there anything you would like to let people know if they might be having some of these problems of uh, leaking with running or other activities? Just to let them know they're not alone, um, and unfortunately it is a common, but it's not a normal symptom, and that if you do seek help from someone like myself, a pelvic health physiotherapist, then there's every chance that we can get you leak-free, which is wonderful. Um, And we're also not in the habit of trying to pull you back from exercise either. I think a lot of runners avoid seeing us because they think we're going to say, well, stop running then. Mm. I just so you know, do try and keep my runners running to a point, um, even if they're leaking, so long as we can marry up the risks and the benefits with that. So most pelvic health physiotherapists love working with runners and um and and they will try and facilitate them back to running as soon as possible and it is possible to run leak free even if you've had symptoms for 25 years we can still get you leak free it's it's never too late so so please do make the most of us and and come and see us wonderful and is there any way you would like to direct people to if they could find you online or anything like that you also mentioned a book 
Yeah, so um, my book is basically about how to protect, heal and nurture your body during and after pregnancy. It's called Why Did No One Tell Me? Um, you can get it from uh, Amazon or um, you can find it on my website www.physiomum.co.uk or if you want to know more about pelvic health you can find me on Instagram. I'm physiomumuk. I will put links to all of those in the description. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was uh, very informative.